Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Please open your Bibles to Mark 15, verses 6 through 15. Again, Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15. It's found in your pew Bible and page 585. Again, Pastor Bruce's message is the man who missed his cross. The story this morning about Barabbas. So follow along again as I read Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whoever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him! Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! Then Pilate said to them, What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Bow our heads and pray be pleased this morning. Father in heaven, how we rejoice in the risen Son this Easter morning. We have forgiveness of sins because of you, Jesus, giving your life on the cross. Help us this morning to understand and grasp what this means to all of us, this new life, this new hope that we have, because you died and you were buried and you rose again on the third day, and we celebrate this resurrection this morning. Help us, Father, to understand about Barabbas and allow us to place our faith in the one who can give us life, and that's in you, Jesus Christ. Be with Pastor Bruce in this message and our group that's preparing to sing this morning that we would give you glory and praise for such a marvelous day that we have to celebrate in you. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Wow, what a great job. Thank you, praise team. And that will be a glorious day. I hope you look forward to it. I know I do. You know, this is Easter weekend, and I have to admit, this is probably my favorite weekend of the whole year. Even better than Christmas, if you can believe that. I mean, in my opinion, there's nothing better than coming together to celebrate the defining moment in all of history. Just think about that. The defining moment in all of history. The day... Jesus defeated death and resurrected from the grave. What a glorious day. And what a glorious day that will be when Jesus returns for those who have accepted him as his Savior, as their Savior, and as their Lord. What a glorious day. Craig Barnes, who is a pastor in Washington, D.C., he wrote an article called Easter in the Age of Terror. And in this article, he points out that Easter is both good news, but it's also terrifying news. 
He says it is good news that Jesus came back from the dead, and that is good news. But it is also terrifying news because Easter confronts us with the reality of death. Think about it. There is no glorious day. There is no resurrection day, Easter, like there is today, without what? Good Friday, without Jesus dying on the cross. And it's this reality of death that I want us to think about this morning for just a few moments here. In fact, it reminds me of a, of a story, maybe you've heard about it, of the ambitious attorney who telephoned the governor just after midnight, insisting that he had to talk to him regarding a matter of utmost urgency. And so the aide eventually agreed to wake up the governor. So what is it, grumbled the governor. Judge Gardner has just died, said the attorney, and I want to take his place. The governor replied, well, that's okay with me if it's okay with the undertaker. (laughs) I know, some of you are a little slow on that one. I don't think that's quite what this attorney had in mind, and yet, taking someone's place is what this message is all about this morning. Taking someone's place. I want you to fix that in your mind here for the next few minutes here. And to help us better understand the significance of taking someone's place, let's begin with a sobering illustration. If you will, I want to invite you to imagine sitting on death row. Imagine wrestling with all the emotions twisting through your mind as the end draws near. Imagine what it would be like to endure each minute in hopeless condemnation. There's no way out. Your fate is sealed. In fact, in doing some research on death row, I came across these two interviews on the Internet. The first one is Ohio death row inmate Kenneth Rickey. He's locked in a cell 23 hours a day, and he sleeps on a plastic mattress atop a warped sheet of steel. It sucks, he said. This ain't no picnic. People out there think we're having a picnic, but this ain't no picnic. Living on death row is a tougher punishment than death. It's a -a 24-hour-a-day torture, the 40-year-old Ricky said. You have no life. You're just existing from one day to the next. Believe me, it's an existence you don't want. Before his execution, Justin Fuller was interviewed by Court TV. And here's here's just a, a, a small part of that interview. Court TV asked the question, what do you think will happen to you after you die? Fuller responds, after I die, oh, I always tell my pen pals that I'll just be floating in the wind. Where I go, I don't know, but I'll be floating somewhere. Court TV asks, are you prepared for death? Fuller says, yeah, I I don't agree, I don't want to die, but at the same time, we're all going to die one day. If it comes, it comes. Life goes on, right? If it comes, it comes. The reality of death is approaching every one of us. Again, imagine, if you will, sitting on death row. Suddenly, the muted rhythm of approaching footsteps breaks the silence. A clamor of metal echoes through the chamber as, to your amazement, your cell door swings open, and you're ordered to your feet, and your shackles are loosed. Through the din of confusion, you hear the words, you're free to go. You've received a pardon. Another will die in your place. 
Well, Barabbas experienced just that. His life didn't end on a cross. The guard who opened his cell didn't march him to his place of death. Instead, he set him free. Now, wouldn't you love to know what happened to Barabbas after he was set free? After he learned that an innocent man named Jesus, king of the Jews, had died in his place, wouldn't you like to know what he did with the rest of his life? I mean, do you think Barabbas continued in his evil ways? Or do you think he came to worship the one who had just died in his place? Was he, as as some legends maintain, among the crowd at the foot of the cross, watching Jesus die in his place on his cross? Think about it with me for a moment. If any man in history knew what it meant to have Jesus literally die in his place on his cross, it was none other than Barabbas. The man that Randy read for us in the scriptures there in Mark chapter 6, or not Mark 6, Mark chapter 15. And strange as it may seem, if there is one person that perhaps we can identify with, it is Barabbas here this morning. If asked to describe Barabbas, all you need is one sentence. He is known as the man who missed his cross. But there's so much more to the story than that. In a real way, Barabbas' story, listen, it is our story. It is each one of your stories. We are Barabbas just as well. But to appreciate this story, we need to understand a little bit more about Barabbas the criminal and why he was set free. In fact, to give us a visual help, a visual picture of maybe how this whole incident transpired, I want to show you a video clip from the movie, The Passion of the Christ. The movie came out in 2003. Most of you have probably seen it, perhaps. The movie by Mel Gibson. This is a, a clip, video clip of it in, with Barabbas and Pilate and Jesus and the crowd shouting, give us Barabbas, and of course crucifying Jesus. Take a look at it.
There's two questions I want us to answer this morning in relation to this scene that we just saw. And that is, first question, who is this Barabbas man? Who is he? What was he like? And the second question is, what difference does his life now make in my life today, 2,000 years later? So let's look at the first question. Barabbas the criminal, and uh, I want to invite those of you, uh, if, if maybe this is your first time here, second or third time, uh, you'll find in your bulletin uh, what we call sermon notes. It's just a, an outline to help you follow along in the message there, and uh, there's some blanks you can fill in if you choose to do so, but all of you are invited to follow along if you want, or you can just follow on the screen behind me. But notice Barabbas the criminal, his name, number one. Barabbas was an Aramaic name that means son of a father. In fact, some early manuscripts of Matthew's gospel render his name as Jesus Barabbas. So what you have here in God's divine plan, you have two men with similar names standing before Pilate. You have Jesus Barabbas stood before Pilate condemned. He is guilty of his sin, guilty of his crimes. And then on the other side, you have Jesus of Nazareth standing before Pilate, and he is innocent. He is sinless. One would live, and the other would die. Jesus Barabbas was the political revolutionary, and Jesus Christ was the true liberator. And yet the crowd chose Jesus Barabbas, the son of a father, instead of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the father. So what was Barabbas' crime? Well, notice that coming up on the screen, Barabbas was arrested and he was convicted of insurrection and murder. Matthew calls Barabbas a notorious prisoner. Now, why was he so notorious? Well, if you go to Mark chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow insurrectionists. They had committed murder in the insurrection. Insurrection, that's a word we don't often use today, but all it means is a rebellion against the ruling authorities. And in this case, they were rebelling against the Roman authorities who were in charge at that time. This also verifies that the two men who were later crucified with Jesus Christ, one on the left, one on the right, were fellow insurrectionists with Barabbas. So understand The idea here is this man, this character that you saw in the movie clip, Barabbas, he is no petty criminal. He was a political revolutionary who committed murder. Barabbas may have been a leader of the Jewish zealots whose cause was to overthrow the Roman government itself. Our description today for Barabbas would be, we would call him a terrorist. It would be like asking, do you want Jesus Or do you want Osama bin Laden if he were still alive today? So, where exactly was Barabbas being held in prison? Where exactly? Well, notice his location. Barabbas was in prison at the fortress of Antonia, which was the holding place for all prisoners in Jerusalem. Now, what you need to understand is this is Passover week. And during Passover week, Pilate was probably residing at the fortress of Antonia during his stay in Jerusalem. This fortress was the headquarters for the Roman soldiers in the area, and he would have stayed, that is Barabbas, in the barracks 
This fortress was also called the Praetorium, the place where Pilate would hear cases and he would render his verdict. So here's the scene. Let me set it up for you. The Jewish leaders took Jesus to Pilate so he could carry out their death sentence. Remember, they wanted him dead from the get-go. Pilate interrogated Jesus privately inside the praetorium, but he talked outside with the religious leaders in an area called the pavement. In fact, this was where Pilate's judgment seat was located. It was where he would sit and he would make the judgment. He would render the verdict and he would carry out the sentence. Barabbas was incarcerated somewhere in the bowels of this fortress and the crowd was directly outside of it, just like you saw in the movie clip. Now, since the praetorium was no more than probably 1,500 feet from the fortress, Barabbas could certainly hear the noise from the crowd that day. But he probably could not hear what Pilate was saying. The Bible doesn't tell us if Barabbas was brought up from his cell to stand opposite of Jesus before the crowd, like you saw in the movie clip, or if he remained in his cell during the crowd's uproar. Either way, here's where the story gets interesting. If we picture Barabbas in prison in his cold cell in the fortress of Antonia, awaiting his execution by crucifixion. Barabbas paces his cell. He's probably a little angry, a little afraid. When suddenly he hears the sound of an angry mob in the distance. Did that mean his fellow zealots were rioting? Were they trying to overthrow the Roman guards and come to his rescue? Suddenly he hears this name, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And then the next thing he hears chills him to the bone. Crucify him. Crucify him. His heart begins to pound. This was no mob of zealous Jews coming to rescue him. This was a lynching party. Worse than that, this was a crucifixion party. Barabbas couldn't hear Pilate's voice asking the question to the crowd, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus? All he could hear were the frenzied cries of the mob, Barabbas, and then crucify him. As hardened as he was, Barabbas must have grown faint. Suddenly he hears the soldiers marching down the stone corridor, coming toward his cell. Closer, closer they come. One of them swings the door wide and growls, Get out of here, Barabbas. His heart sinks, but then he hears the words, You're free to go. Can you imagine his shock at those words? Barabbas, fully expecting the soldiers to crucify him, suddenly he finds himself a free man. He's got a second chance on life. But why? I mean, how is this possible? Did Pilate just have pity on him and decide to release him? No, which brings us to his substitution. Look at it, number four here. Barabbas was set free for one reason and one reason only. He was set free because Jesus Christ died in his place on his cross. It was customary during the Passover festival, the Passover week, for the governor, in this case Pilate, to release any prisoner the people wanted. Notice how Mark captures this moment 
In Mark chapter 15, verse 15, it says, So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. You see, Barabbas, more than any other individual in the drama of Calvary, knew that he had a substitute on that center cross that day. One writer says this, There between the two robbers and on the very cross on which Barabbas was to have been crucified, his substitute died. Barabbas was supposed to die that very day. He was sentenced, he was in prison, and he was awaiting his death by crucifixion, and yet suddenly he was told, You're free! Go! Think about it. Barabbas is the man who missed his cross because another man literally took his place. Listen, this is the story of Jesus and Barabbas. This is a story of substitution. How many of you, when you were in school, perhaps grade school, junior high, and you leaped for joy when you walked into class and you saw you had a substitute teacher, right? You know what I'm talking about? You thought to yourself, man, the cat's away, the mice can play. we got a substitute. If you've ever had a substitute teacher in school, then you understand the concept of substitution. Substitution is all about switching places. And that's exactly what Jesus did for Barabbas when he died on his cross. But folks, listen to me, let's not forget Jesus is our substitute as well. Jesus bore our sins, and He died the death that we deserve, just as He died the death that Barabbas deserved. Jesus hung on the cross intended for Barabbas, just as He hung on the cross in my place and in your place. And like Barabbas, we were condemned to die until Jesus took our place. And like Barabbas, we have been set free if we will accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Now, this is where the story of Barabbas and Jesus, the story of substitution, becomes very, very relevant for us here this morning. It leads us to the question, what should we take away from this? By the way, this is more than a history lesson on a person named Barabbas. So what should we leave here with this morning? What difference does his life now make in my life? What difference does his life make in your life here 2,000 years later? Well, there are three simple truths I want to draw your attention to. Three simple truths, and yet they are profound if we will take the time to grab hold of them. Three truths from the man who missed his cross. The first truth is this. By God's justice, by God's justice, we get what we deserve in life. Listen to me. Without Jesus, we stand condemned before God's moral law. Barabbas represents each person born in this world. And as a sinner, 
Barabbas was arrested and brought to justice. He was guilty and condemned to die. He was getting exactly what he deserved. And folks, in the same way, we, myself, we are guilty of sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 adds these words, For all have what? Sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And so standing alone, standing on our own merits, we are condemned for wrong living, for wrong conduct, for wrong attitudes and wrong relationships. And the verdict is pronounced guilty for every one of us here this morning. Even our conscience agrees when we are painfully honest with ourselves. When we look in the mirror, we know there is no one else to blame as much as we try shifting the blame, and we do. And so because of our sinfulness, listen, we are all getting what we deserve. And that is death. And in the Bible, death It is both physical death, and we know all about that in this world of ours. We experience the physical death, we see physical death, we watch it, we have loved ones who have died before us. We are all facing a physical death, but folks, it is also a spiritual death. And when we talk about a spiritual death, it is, at the heart of it, it is eternal separation from God Almighty in a place called hell. That is what every one of us deserves by God's justice because we are guilty of our sins. Now, I'll be honest with you. That's bad news, isn't it? That's awful news. In fact, that's, that's, I'm bummed out right now. How many of you are bummed out? It's discouraging. It's depressing. It's hopeless. It's bad news. But wait. Oh, wait. There's good news coming. Are you ready for it? Look at it number two. By God's mercy, we don't get what we deserve. And we all say, man, hallelujah to that one. By God's mercy, we don't get what we deserve. Listen to me. God has planned an alternative to our condemnation. Like Barabbas, we are guilty of sin and we are deserving of death. But God, in his mercy, has set forth a plan for our rescue. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us. Folks, listen, you could say it this way. God demonstrated His own love towards me, towards you. And that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do for us? He died for us. And so God in His mercy has given His Son Jesus as His alternative to the Barabbas in every one of us. Of course, Barabbas is the world's alternative to Jesus. To follow His path of guilt and rebellion is to discover the truth of what the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So you can choose the way of Barabbas. And you will experience the reality of the wages of your sin is death. 
God's holiness. God's holiness seeks justice. But God's love offers us mercy. Jesus is God's great act of mercy. And God's mercy through Jesus provides for the sacrifice of our sins. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Most of you are familiar with it. John chapter 3, verse 16. But I want to add the verse 17 to it. Look what it says. It's in your notes. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Listen, Jesus is God's personal offer of mercy to you. So now we don't have to get what we deserve. Why? Because Jesus took our place and He took what we deserve. Isaiah 53, 5 says it this way, But He, speaking of Jesus, He was wounded for our transgressions. Just another word for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. Again, another word for our sins. And the chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. Now that's good news, folks. By God's mercy, we don't have to get what we deserve. And that is death. But wait, there's even better news. It even gets better than that. Notice number three. By God's grace. By God's grace, we get what we don't deserve. You see, in response to our faith, Jesus takes our place of condemnation. Look what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, in this is love. In other words, John, the apostle, he is defining for us what real love is. This is real love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, He sent His Son to be the sacrifice for our sins when He died on the cross. Jesus, who was unworthy to die, took the place of Barabbas, who was unworthy to live. The whole scene demonstrates unconditional love. One man stretched out on another man's cross. And the only reason Barabbas lived is because Jesus was willing to die in his place. Now, think about this with me for a moment. What Jesus did for Barabbas 2,000 years ago in history. Folks, listen. He did that for you. He did that for us. And the good news is we can experience God's grace by accepting Jesus' work on the cross and His resurrection is the proof of it. The Apostle Paul urges us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, he says, be reconciled to God. In other words, because of our sin, we are far from God. God is holy, we are sinful, God cannot look upon our sin. In fact, the Bible even uses a word to describe what we are in our relationship to God because of our sin. We are really at enemies with God. We, therefore, we need to be reconciled to Him. And if you're married here this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about in this. Anybody married and had a fight with their spouse? 
you know what I'm dealing, talking about. When you have a fight, you're enemies. You're at odds with one another. And there's something's not right in the relationship. And that is what is all wrong with our relationship with God when we are born. We are born as sinners, and we are sinners also by choice. So we can say it this way. We are sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. And that puts us at odds with God. And now Paul comes to us and he says, listen, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. Be united. And here's how it's possible. Here's why it is possible. Notice what he says. For he, that is God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be what? To be sin for us. That we might what? Become the righteousness of God in Christ. And it's because of that righteousness now that we can be reconciled to God. Because when God looks at us, oh man, this is so awesome. When we accept Christ, when God views me, He doesn't see Bruce Adrian, the sinner, in all his deception and deceitfulness in my heart. A God who knows everything I've done. He doesn't see me that way. He sees me covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, He accepts me as a son. Or if you're a woman here, as a case, as a daughter. And I can be reconciled to God Almighty. It's a wonderful thing. You say, what does this all this mean? It means by grace. We get what we don't deserve. We get the righteousness of Jesus Christ. One writer portrays Barabbas following Jesus' walk to the cross. And as he watched Jesus being nailed to the cross, Barabbas was deeply moved with the thought, I should have been carrying that cross, not he. He saved me. I should have been hanging there, not he. He saved me. Whether true or not, it is certainly true that Barabbas was included among the sinners for whom Jesus died to save. And so were we. 1 Peter 2.24 adds this. He says, He himself, speaking of Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Another writer says this, Barabbas was the only man in the world who could say that Jesus Christ took his physical place. But I can say that Jesus Christ took my spiritual place. For it was I who deserved to die. It was I who deserved that wrath of God should be poured upon me. I deserved the eternal punishment of the lake of fire. He was delivered up for my offenses. He was handed over to judgment because of my sins. Christ, he says, was my substitute. So let me ask you a personal question here. Can you say that Jesus took your spiritual place? You know, only Barabbas can say that Jesus took his place physically on the cross. 
But can you say that Jesus took your place spiritually when He died on the cross for your sins? In other words, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your substitute? Here's another way to think about it. Everybody here this morning, everybody who has ever lived on the face of this earth, everybody gets something in this life. And everybody is going to get something in the next life. And the question is, what are you getting? What are you getting at this moment? Because it all comes down to two options here. Notice it on the screen. All comes down to two options. Without Jesus, we get what we deserve. And that is eternal death. And remember, death is separation from God in a place called hell. But with Jesus, when we believe in Him and receive Him and accept Him as our substitute, we get what we don't deserve. We get eternal life. Woo! Man, that is so cool. I get something that I don't deserve, that I didn't earn, that I can't pay for, because somebody's already paid for it, and His name is Jesus, and He did it on the cross. Amen! Jesus paid the penalty for more than just Barabbas, folks. He died as a sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. And because Jesus took our place on the cross that we deserve, we are able to have, get this, eternal life and a home in heaven. And we're able to have the power of God residing within us while we live here on this earth now. We get a new life now. Man, you can't find a better deal than that. The world will try to offer you one, but it will always come up short. J.C. Ryle, who was a Puritan writer back in the 1600s, he said it this way, and I love what his words, listen to it. He says, let us freely confess that like Barabbas, we deserve death, judgment, and hell. But let us cling firmly to the glorious truth that a sinless Savior has suffered in our stead. And that believing in Him, the guilty may go free. I can't say it any better. You say, man, that's what I want. You're sitting there right now and you came in this morning and you had no idea what you want, but now you're like, that, that's what I've been longing for. That's what I want in my life. I want to be set free from the penalty of my sin. I want eternal life that can only come through Jesus Christ. Listen, if that's what you want, if God is working in your heart and He is prodding you and He is calling you and you know something is going on, then by faith, believe and receive Jesus Christ as your personal substitute. It is that simple. So what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? Listen, in the Bible, the word believe means to cling to. It means to rely on and to trust in. In other words, it's not enough just to know something in your head. To know the facts about Jesus Christ. Folks, listen to me. People all over America believe in the facts about Jesus. 
And yet they, he is not their substitute. It means more than to just feel good about something in your heart. To believe in Jesus means to rely completely on Him as your substitute and Him and Him alone. And that belief must become very personal. Where I depend on the finished work of Christ on the cross and the power of His resurrection for my forgiveness of sins and eternal life as a gift from God Almighty. Listen, it's not for sale. You cannot buy forgiveness of sins. You cannot buy eternal life because it's already been paid for. Isn't that cool? But it does, not, it does need to be received. You not only have to believe in it, but you've got to receive it. You must accept it. Listen to what John 1 says. John 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who received Him, received Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Listen to what Jesus Himself said in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, I tell you the truth. In other words, you can take this to the bank. You can count on it, He says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has, and I love this last phrase that he says, he has crossed over from, did you see it? From death to life. You've crossed over from eternal death to eternal life. Folks, listen to me. What a tragedy it would be to miss out on this miracle. The miracle of Easter. What a tragedy. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and He rose again so that you can have eternal life in Him. So that you can cross over from death to life. And it would be a tragedy to miss out on this miracle in your life, especially since Jesus has already done everything with his death and resurrection. That means there's nothing more for us to do. There's nothing more that we can add to it. All we need to do is believe and receive Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed, This is what we call in our church our response time. And a response time is just that. It's a time to respond to God speaking to you. It's a time to respond to Jesus Christ. And in this case, the response is to believe and receive Jesus as your substitute. You know, when Pilate stood before the crowd, he asked one of the most important questions of all of history. He said, what shall I do with Jesus? You know, that's a great question to think about. What will you do with Jesus? And so I ask, on this Easter Sunday, what will you do with him? Listen, you can stand back and say, I don't care about Jesus. You can push him away and say, just leave me alone, Jesus. Or you can open your heart and say, I believe you and I want to receive you into my life. And if you're ready to believe and receive Jesus as your personal substitute, 
If you want to be set free from the penalty of your sins, and if you want to receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life, then during our response time, ask Jesus to save you. Cry out to him. He will hear your prayers. He will hear you by faith, and he will answer them. The praise team is going to sing, and while they're singing, you can pray in your heart right where you're sitting. In fact, there's even a prayer in your notes that you can follow along, a simple prayer to follow to receive Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life. Let me encourage you, don't wait, don't delay. What a tragedy it would be to walk out of here this morning and miss the opportunity and the gift that Jesus is offering you today. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the people that you chose to bring here this morning. Thank you for your amazing love and your grace demonstrated through your son's death and resurrection. God, there are people here who have yet to receive your son as their substitute. And I pray that you will open their eyes to their need for Jesus. And you will give them the faith to believe and receive Jesus Christ into their lives. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, right there where you're sitting, just cry out, pray. Pray to him. Use that sample prayer in the bottom of your notes to receive Christ as your substitute. Lord of all, King of heaven. 
thankful that Jesus is your substitute. Amen. In fact, those of you that pray to receive Christ as your substitute, man, I welcome you into the family of God. It's a glorious thing. And and now, man, we'd love to, to celebrate with you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to answer any questions you may have about that. Um, and in fact, one way we can do that is for you to communicate with us through the communication card on the side of your bulletin. And just check that box I prayed to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can write your name and uh, your phone number or perhaps your email address. And, uh, and, we, and if you want help, we'd love to get with you or whatever, meet with you, and, uh, and just celebrate and, and help you with that. One tool that we have uh, for every person here this morning, uh, every guest that has come, every person who's made a, a profession of Christ, is, is a book called An Anchor for the Soul. And what this book does, it's a simple read. It's a, a, a little paperback book, um, and it just goes into further detail explaining what it means that Jesus Christ is our substitute. And, uh, and I challenge you to take this book. If you're a new believer, maybe you still have questions about Jesus Christ, take this book and read it. And um, it's just a tool to help you further understand of how to know Christ as your personal substitute, how to receive him as well. And so take it. Those of you that are part of our church family, you can take it as a, and give it to somebody who, who you know needs, to, to, needs Jesus as their substitute. And then I want to invite all of us uh, next Sunday. We're beginning a brand new sermon series, six weeks long. And you see the posters on the side of the auditorium. It's called God's Got Questions. Now, I know that's a little weird. Wow, God's Got Questions? I didn't know God has questions. I thought I always have questions for God, right?